Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host. I'm here again today with our host, Dr. Greg Miller, and we're happy to announce that uh, we have two return guests. If you saw our earlier program, we had David Delmonico and Elizabeth Griffin as our guests, and uh, they are back with us today. How are you, Elizabeth? Great. Thanks Good. for having us And back. of course, we have David on the phone all the way out in Pittsburgh. Uh, good morning, Dave. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, we got off to a great start last time the two of you joined us as we were talking uh, about um, child pornography uh, and the legal side of things. And uh, Elizabeth, do you want to pick up where we last left off? Sure, I can do that. Um, so again, in talking about this issue that's often difficult for people to talk about, um, I think the other thing that people don't realize about viewing child pornography is that it carries very serious legal consequences. And um, I can't tell you the number of individuals that we've evaluated that will say, I didn't realize this was illegal, uh, especially if I was viewing an image of maybe a 16-year-old. It's right. like the age of consent in my state is 16 years old. I, you know, this image was someone who was 16 or 17. And the reality is that viewing any image of an individual under the age of 18 is a federal crime and can carry very serious legal consequences. So how, in your experience of working with um, men who have found themselves in legal trouble, how is it typically that the law does get involved? Because we know that there are those who have looked at it and have not gotten caught. So what are the circumstances many times that will bring the legal ramifications? David, I'm going to let you start off with that one. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think there are a number of things that happen in the legal world. And again, one of the things we talked about in the previous podcast was just how people feel like they're anonymous when they're in the digital world. Uh, but that's a fallacy. They aren't anonymous. We carry IP addresses when we travel through the digital world. There are lots of ways to track us. Files all have fingerprints. And so... You know, one of the things I think that people don't realize is that, um, you know, our, our, I, or our um, service provider, the people who provide our cable service, for example, they're mandated reporters. So if they see something illegal coming through their servers, which all images and things come through their servers, they're required to report that to the cyber tip line, which would spark an investigation. Also, if people post or store images, we hear so much about the cloud these days, if people store images on the cloud and, you know, a service provider like Google Drive or something, Box, or notices something on there, they're obligated by law to report those things. So, um, and I guess the other way I see a lot is if people take their computer in for service. So you go into the geek squad at Best Buy and they begin servicing your computer and they notice images that are even questionable. They don't even have to confirm that they're child pornography. They can call... Uh, the local police and, and begin an investigation. So there's many, many ways to get caught. It's it's much easier to get caught than not to get caught in this day and age with all the technology that's available out there. So one of the things that, you know, I may hear a man say is this anonymity piece. You know, I've just looked at it a couple of times and um, I don't save it. I don't download it. Um, but what you're saying is even if I viewed the images that there's still that possibility that I will be seen through my server 
and that is the way that I can be reported. That's right. And, and also, every time something displays on your computer through the Internet, it is stored on your computer. So before, the way the Internet works is that when we visit a web page or when we go to an area of the Internet, before it shows up on our monitor, it comes through our hard drive. And so it gets placed on the hard drive. Some people hear these words called cached, C-A-C-H-E-D, cached. These images get cached in our hard drives before they show up on our screen. So sometimes even unbeknownst to us, we're possessing images that we didn't think we actually possessed. We thought, well, we just looked at them on the Internet, and when we went off that page, they went away. And they don't go away. They stay there, and they can be discovered, and they can be reported. I think also lots of people will maybe come across images and maybe they will view them quickly, but they realize, okay, I've got to delete these, and they delete them, and then they think they're gone. They're not gone. (laughs) Delete does not mean it goes away forever. It just means you can't see it in your your, um, desktop. Uh, Maybe it's in your trash, but even if you go delete it from your trash, it still doesn't go away. Your computer still has it in there that if you get reported, the first thing they do when they come to your house is seize your hard drive and your phone and your tablet and take it in. And for a forensic examination, that can uncover anything you have done in the online world. So talk a little bit about um, once the law does get involved, they've been notified, somehow the information has been communicated then what is the process that a person can expect at, at the beginning of the process? Well, oftentimes, unfortunately, um, law enforcement, and, and so it's, a, it's an and. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys have talked about the ampersand. Um, the reality is that most people who have gotten themselves into trouble with child pornography are not dangerous individuals. And law enforcement doesn't always know that. So unfortunately, oftentimes it is, um, you may be at home in bed and your house is bombarded with FBI agents, or you may pull into your driveway and a SWAT team surrounds your car, or you may be at work and law enforcement, you know, shows up at your door with five law enforcement officers with guns. Um, So it's usually not a, a pleasant experience. And for most of the clients I have seen here, they're very law-abiding, pro-social individuals who struggle with sex addiction. And so this is an environment that is, they're not criminals or never been part of the criminal system. So it's very upsetting, it's very traumatic, but that's usually how the process starts. Well, and what what is also true is many of the um, men that come to Faithful and True, they are married so not only are they experiencing this invasion in this significant way, but their families are also, their wives are having to go through this. So simultaneously, they the wife may be finding out about this issue for the first time yes. as the police are coming to their house. And the trauma that that, that, that happens in that moment is... It's both devastating, it is sad, and it's at that moment that I think many men start to realize what I've been doing does have serious consequences. Well, um, and, not, and not to forget, they may have children of their own. Right, right. You know, and so to watch your father handcuffed in front of you and taken away 
is not only you know traumatic for the person that's happening to and that partner, but think about what that's like for a you know a 12 year old or a 14 year old not understanding what was happening. This this person who's their their hero, their mentor, being handcuffed and walked away. So. And I think it's also important for people to understand what is the job of law enforcement. So the job of law enforcement is to take people into custody, to interview people, and to get a confession. And and that's their job, and they're very good at it. And <laughs> as an individual, if you have... Um, I'll just tell my own personal story. Uh, when my sons were growing up, of course, in my household, we were always talking about this to much to their chagrin, embarrassment. Like, you know, it's illegal to look at child pornography. I understand you may be 17 years old and looking, you know, find images and hear all the consequences. But I also said much to my husband's uh, chagrin <laughs> that, um, and if you're picked up by law enforcement, the only phrase you utter is, I need to call an attorney. Like, uh, you, it, that, that, that it, it's their job to pretend to be your friend and they want to help you. And it's your job to not utter anything, but I need to get an attorney. Because in, in many of these cases, and, um, the first thing I always do is I help people connect to a good attorney. And it's expensive. That's another consequence, financial. Uh, for a case that includes child pornography, it's anywhere between 25000 and 50000 for a good attorney. And um, you would never spend money better. Right. <laughs> because um, having someone who will advocate for you through the process, there are going to be consequences, legal consequences, regardless of what happens. Yeah, no matter how good of an attorney you have. However, to try to um, keep your case at a state level versus a federal level, because the consequences are much greater at a federal level. Um, if it goes to a federal level to help advocate for you at sentencing, a uh, mandatory minimum sentence in the federal system is five years in federal prison. And, and it's rare to get a five-year sentence. It's more like an eight to 12 to 15-year sentence. But to have an attorney advocating to get that for you. Um, so the consequences just keep multiplying right. as time goes on um, financially, um, you know, legally, time in prison, time away from your family, just a whole... And Greg, I, I want to pick up on, on what you had talked about in the last podcast, which was that that cycle of shame that people feel, yes. right? And when people get to this position, they finally get caught. You know, we've heard so many men say, I'm so relieved I've been caught. This is going to force me to get the help that I need. Unfortunately, that relief that they feel often comes out with the police at the time that they're conducting a search warrant and they feel like they've just they want to get this weight off their shoulder you know this is something i've been struggling with for five years i just want to tell somebody about it the police are the wrong people to tell Mm. (laughs) that's when you again you find that attorney you find a good therapist and you begin working on these issues so I think that's why we see that a lot, is that when people get caught, they, they kind of tell everything. And that's part of relieving their own guilt and shame mm-hmm. that they feel because of the situation. Well, and it also gets to 
the the chaos of um, these are good men. They they're not evil. They're not these bad men. They do these choices that are chaotic and destructive, and so a good man is going to want to respond and being open and honest and owning right. their stuff. stuff. It's just a matter of being wise in how you do that. Um, recognizing, like Elizabeth said, people have different roles and the role of your attorney, the role of your therapist and the role of law enforcement are different. Yeah. So being wise and knowing how to navigate that. So th that kind of comes to the place of, so what would be the suggestions that you would give to someone in the, those initial early days if they find themselves in this situation? So the first thing is to get a, a good lawyer. I'm assuming a lawyer that really understands the complexity of this particular issue and the laws around it. Exactly. Unfortunately, this is the fastest growing crime in the federal system. So any good criminal defense attorney will have represented cases involving child pornography. But it is about, like, um, asking people in your community or, you know, also another option would be to call Faithful and True and ask for um, an appointment, one appointment with David or I in order just to, if people are having trouble finding a good criminal defense attorney, we, we do know attorneys around the country, but you want someone who has some experience in, in the federal system and in representing these cases. And, and really, I, I always say to people, that's your number one task. And then your number two task is get yourself some professional help in terms of um, reaching out to a therapist and getting support. Um, as David said uh, about the shame, this is a very shameful um, behavior to have to face into. And one of the things that we have found is that people need community. I, I'm sure you guys right. talk on the podcast all the time about community. More than anything, this this type of behavior needs community because this is often not something that people feel like they can talk about. And so I know wives need support. You know, oftentimes the couple will isolate when this happens because it may not be, you know, known in the beginning. And so they feel so shameful about it and feel like there's going to be such judgment that they can't talk to anyone about it. And so they both carry that and it eats away at them. So a place like Faithful and True, where you can become part of a support group to be able to even just have people walk us alongside you through this process, because it's a very long process. It can be two to three years before you're eventually sentenced, before you're even charged. So right. it can be a very long process. And you may not feel like you can tell a lot of people in your immediate community about what's happening. Yeah, I often hear stories when working with men of how long the for, you mentioned the forensic work that they will do on your technology and how long that that can take before you get any information back about what they discovered or what the consequence is going to be or how they're going to move forward if they have the evidence. Has that been your experience that that process itself can be pretty time consuming? Oh, yeah, that, that process can take years. It really can. I mean, I think probably the longest we've seen one of our cases in the system has been seven or eight years before they've even let the person know whether or not they're going to be charged. 
And so, you know, people have this cloud hanging over them waiting to hear whether or not they're even going to move forward with the case. And it's it just, uh, you know, it's anxiety uh, producing and it just creates a huge heavy weight on people. Um, and so, you know, finding that support. And unfortunately, um, sometimes the people that we think are going to support us through this are not the ones who end up being our support. So, you know, don't give up if you try a friend who says, you know, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Don't give up if you go to your, unfortunately, your faith community. Sometimes they're not sure how to deal with this. They don't want you to come to church because what if you molest one of the children in the pair, you know, in the in the congregation or something? So sometimes that support where we think we're going to get it isn't always there. That's why it's so important to reach out to people who understand this issue. You know, again, like people in Faithful and True or other counselors that that really get this and can understand what's happening so that they can provide you with that support. And unfortunately, we see a lot of men uh, who are very suicidal after they get arrested or after a search warrant is served. In fact, the police are now trained to do a suicide screening when they conduct a search warrant because so many guys feel that shame and that guilt and they're not sure that they're safe to leave them after the search warrant has been served. This is a very profound time for people in their lives. Absolutely. And part of it is, you know, the level of support that they have prior to this. And a lot of times, because the nature of addiction is about isolation, a lot of times the men who are in this situation discover they don't have a lot of community. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things that they do is begin creating that community with other safe men. One, one thing I just want to acknowledge is this is the complexity of the issue is one of the things I'm very grateful for at Faithful and True is that we move towards the complexity of people's lives, recognizing that in this experience, there are victims and the, the children that were on the images, they were victimized and they are mm-hmm. victims of what happened. And we can have compassion and um, and be with those men, uh, be with those children, and we can understand the pain and the complexity of the men who are looking at that. And a lot of times, it's it's as if you have to be either or. And we we really want to be with those who are being victimized, and we want to be with those who are victimizing others, knowing that there's hope and grace and love, um, and God is enough in all of that. And, and I, I'm very thankful to be a part of a, an organization that can step into that space and be with people in their pain. And I think that is just so important because you're right. In our world, we tend to go victimizer, perpetrator, or victim. And often, you know, the perpetrator or the victimizer has also been a victim mm-hmm. many times. And and it's not an either or. We can support both. And and then I just want to also add and support the wife and the family in this because they oftentimes are the one that's left out of the equation in terms of understanding that they too feel very uh, both victimized and feel like they're getting blamed and also feel devastated by what's happened. Well, and, and in doing this work, I, I often think of the idea of, of time. And for the, the, the man who has been looking at the child pornography, if we go back 30 years into his life, he may actually be someone who is being victimized. Right. And it's important that we, we see it through that lens, that the, that 
time is a factor in this. And if we don't understand that, then we're not going to be able to really be present with the person who has been victimized as well as the the person who is victimizing others. Yes, definitely. Um, So what, what does hope look like in these situations that are so complex and the law is involved? Oh, David, do you want to answer that? <laughs> no, I mean, I think hope looks like, um, I just think of a couple of clients. There, there is one client um, from Wisconsin, um, as many people know, Faithful and Trees in Minneapolis. And, and he, by God's intervention, he would say, and I believe that's true, found Faithful and True. And he had charges of child pornography. And in Wisconsin, it is a mandatory minimum, if it, even if it stays at a state level, that you serve three years in prison. And, um, you know, he, he just, he was like, I can't do it. If I have to go to prison, I'm going to kill myself. Well, during this process, luckily it was a long process, but he stayed in therapy. His wife got in therapy. He kind of walked through, like, how he had come to this place, what he had done. And um, and he's now serving his three years in prison. And um, I got a letter from him the other day saying, I used to always say, there is meaning in this experience. I don't know what it right. is yet. But that is how you, that's where you find the hope. And, and he talked about uh, many of the young men he's meeting in prison who have these similar charges. And he's probably in his late 40s. And how he has become the mentor to these men and how these men have felt so hopeless, how they had never been in therapy. And so he said to me, I have found my purpose and meaning in this. And and so I really do believe that's a hope. I, I mean, we see people get these charges, be convicted, spend time in state or federal prison, and go on to live very happy, fulfilling, um, meaningful lives, still supported by community and their family. Hmm. What would you add, David? Yeah, I just, I think about, we talk about people hitting their bottom, right, when they're addicted. We often think about that as the, the alcoholic or the drug addict, but Certainly, even in sexual addiction, I think people have their bottom. And for many guys that we see, this is it. This is where they hit their bottom. And as dark as that place can be, if they're provided with and they seek out the support, um, this they can turn this darkness into light. And um, and they can continue to kind of be. We've seen we've seen families fall apart. We've seen families stay together. I mean, it's unpredictable, and that's what creates the anxiety uh, about the situation. But again, it's just it's so important to stay the course and believe that there is purpose and meaning in this, um, and that you can take something out of it, and that you're still a val- valid, valuable person in the world, and you still matter, and how can you make use of that? And that's, that's what I try to talk about with guys in this situation to give them some hope. Absolutely. Oh, go ahead, Elizabeth. I was just going to say, and hopefully their faith will be a part Mm -hmm. of that journey. And David and I do um, a lot of educational work with uh, religious institutions, churches, synagogues, parishes, to really talk about how, you know, when someone is going through this, 
the thing that increases their risk for both suicide or getting back into the behavior again is lack of community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if I could give everybody one thing, it would be community. And so how can, as um, a faith-based organization, you provide both accountability, that's important, but support and community to individuals? Absolutely. One of the, the messages that we teach is, um, our addiction is part of the story and it's not all of the story right. and our behaviors never define us that our value and our identity come from who God created us to be and God is the one that is responsible for that and so nothing I can do can change my value and identity as the way that God sees me and that's where we find hope so this is part of my story it's not all of my story and God must be bigger than my story in order to be God. Mm-hmm. And somehow that sense that God is bigger, you know, I often um, acknowledge that, that God is big enough to be with where, where we are, and God is intimate enough to be with us where we are. And I think that that's one of the places we find hope. And one of the most powerful points that Greg makes to the men at the Men of Valor workshop is the fact that there is no sin for which God is unwilling to forgive you. And these men that have so much guilt and so much shame when they arrive on Thursday morning for the workshop, when they leave on Saturday afternoon, the, the, the one big change in their life is this elevated sense of hope. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is tied to the fact that Greg has shown, shown them that, uh, that there are no sins that God is unwilling to forgive you. Uh, and that is such a relief to these men. Uh, and a lot of times they reach back to, to me, uh, who helped them register originally, and they just said, this was a life-changing experience, mm-hmm. you know. There is one organization I want to make a plug for. It's an organization called Stop It Now. And you can anonymously call into this organization and talk to a staff member if you are engaged in viewing child pornography. Um, They will not ask you any identifying information. They will talk to you about it, and they will also try to help you find resources. So that's one avenue of help that is anonymous. And as I said earlier, you can also call Faithful and True. David and I do not do ongoing therapy, but we're always happy to meet with someone one time or two times to help plug them into resources in their own community or resources here at Faithful and True if needed, um, attorneys across the to help at least walk them through some initial steps that need to be taken. That's great. Thank you. Any closing words from you, Greg? I I just like leaving people with hope that no matter what it is that they're experiencing, whatever it is that um, is going on in their life, maybe they are in that place of legal chaos, or maybe they're in that place of the secrecy and the shame that they are feeling that there is hope and that there is a way forward because of God's grace and God's love. Well said. We'd like to uh, thank you for joining us today and viewing this podcast. If this video podcast has been uh, beneficial to you, we, uh, we invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, and uh, give this video a thumbs up if it'll uh, help spread the message of hope and healing. And uh, if you have a friend or a family member that could benefit from today's message, please pass this, this uh, video on to them. If you're listening to us at faithfulandtrue.com or on iTunes or on iHeartRadio or Apple, uh, just uh, we appreciate any thumbs up, any likes that you can give us. It helps us spread the word. So until we join you again next week, we'd like to thank you. 
we'd like to hope that this coming week for you is a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision.